0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. We all know the Viola Desmond story today, uh, but what people don't understand is that there were many Viola Desmonds in the province of Nova Scotia and many people who went to jail to fight those rules. It wasn't something that you felt that you could talk about because people were embarrassed.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Black Tea, and you know what, Mel? I'm super excited about this particular podcast episode because we're going to talk about the Black Canadian presence on Canadian television. Uh, and usually, there is none. So uh, this is uh, we're going to talk about Digstown, a show that features a multicultural cast driven by. African-Canadian characters. So I'm geeked. I'm excited. I'm amped.
2: Yeah. And you know what? I think that this revolving discussion, important discussion we've been having in Canadian entertainment with Black people has always been about lack. And one of the great things about the interview that we're doing and the show Digstown is that Black people are everywhere. Black stories are everywhere. So we do have to recognize the growth. You know what I mean? Like there's a long way to go, but I love Digstown. Like, I know we're going to get into it longer, but it's basically a legal drama. It's two seasons long. Season three is starting. The main character, her name is Marcy Diggs, and she's kind of a corporate lawyer, but she's into social justice. There's a tragedy in her family. So, you know, there's a lot of themes that I'm personally passionate about. Um, when it comes to the law and the intersection between like social justice,
1: criminal law, that
2: sort of thing. But it's also based in Nova Scotia where there's just such a rich Black history. So yeah, I think it's great.
1: And the interesting thing is to eat with me. I mean, I don't watch... Much Canadian television, I know. Bad podcast shows, bad. <laughs> pod-
2: Are we supposed <laughs> to? I know. <laughs> you know,
1: but but I, you know, and I, I, it's not like I'm a traitor to my country, or you know, there's is it's nothing. It has nothing to do with any nationalistic feelings I have towards my country. You know, like hey, I am Canadian, and rah rah. The problem I have with Canadian television is, you know, like if I want to see you know black news anchors and uh, good black dramas, good black rom coms, comedy series, like I'm not going to find it here. You know what I mean? So so yeah, it's you're like
2: you're find it in the states.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, so it's like, hello, ABC, NBC, CBS, BET. Here I come. You know yeah, what I mean? We like, need
2: like a how to get away with murder a scandal, but I still feel like that's coming. Like we're building it, aren't we?
1: If you build it, they will come, and this is what Diggstown is uh, is here to prove and show. Right? So, Diggstown, go check it out.
2: We are so excited. We're going to get right into it um, with our guests today. We have two guests, which is a treat. And as we said, they are involved in the CBC legal drama Digstown, which premieres very, very soon, um, which is, you know, a Canadian legal drama television series. We've talked about it created by Floyd Kane. He's a showrunner. He's also a lawyer the first Canadian drama series to feature a Black Canadian woman as a lead character who we have today, Vanessa Antoine, but we also have Juanita Peters. She is the executive director of the Africville Museum, which is in Nova Scotia. More than a memorial, the African Museum and its exhibits invite the visitor to experience life out of home in Africville. Um, So, you know, there's a deep history with Africville. I've actually been to this museum, I think, a couple times. Love the museum, love the history behind it, but Juanita's Actually, the first Black Canadian woman from Nova Scotia to direct an hour of Canadian television. She will be directing the fourth episode of Digstown. So, thank you so much for joining us, Juanita.
1: And we'd also like to welcome, drum roll, please, the lovely and talented Vanessa Antoine. Now, Vanessa is a Canadian actress who is best known for her roles as Judith Winters in the CBC comedy drama Being Erica. Others might have known of Vanessa's work as Jordan Ashford in the ABC Soap Opera General Hospital. And now going into its third season, she plays the lead character, legal aid lawyer Marcy Diggs on Digstown. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give her some flowers while she's here. Um, But at the recent 2021 Canadian Screen Awards, Vanessa also received a nomination for Best Actress in a Drama Series for her work on Digstown. So can we please make some noise for Vanessa? Thank you so much. Now... Our podcast, Black Tea, is consumed, uh, fixated, some might even say obsessed with popular culture and current affairs. And the TV series Digstown has also always been informed by real world situations. Now, you you would have to be quite literally living underneath a rock to not see the impacts that COVID-19 has had on most people's lives. So, can you both talk to us about what it was like shooting season three during a pandemic? And, you know... Both Mel and I were told that the production occurred during the worst outbreak of COVID-19 to hit the province of Nova Scotia, where you film. And then maybe if you can talk about how that played out in the show itself.
3: I mean, I think for me, you know, we had to quarantine. We all, the ones that were traveling in. So we all had 14 days of quarantine and complete sort of solitude. And then we were really excited to jump in and start to work. And at that exact moment, um, I think a few days later, everything went into lockdown again. And there was, you know, in conjunction with our already panic and anxiety because the numbers had started going up, we were also shooting an episode that centered around a COVID death. Mm -hmm. And it starred Julie Black, who, you know, she did such a wonderful job telling the story of a long-term care worker who was being accused of being responsible for for the death of an elderly person in in one of these facilities. So it it was just like double whammy, really. You know, I mean, I think I came home every day and I just was like probably pounding three glasses of wine just to get my brain Mm -hmm. to to stop, you know.
1: And after the wine, you, and then you, you know, or before you consume copious amounts of wine, it's a sanitizing, cleaning, mask (laughs) wear, you know what I mean? Pulling down the mask to down the wine, you know, it's the whole routine, right?
3: Of course, of course. But it's different. You know, it's different now shooting when in, in the midst of a pandemic, all of the protocols were in place. You know, we were also being tested, you know, every other day. And these were not the regular uh, antigen tests. These were sort of a little bit, <laughs> I call them the archaic brain ticklers. And then you've got the masks and you've got all of the bubbling and isolation and not able to, you know,
0: hang out with your peeps on set. So it was, it was intense. For me, I was just amazed at how uh, Vanessa and the other actors were able to navigate uh, the way that we now had to shoot the series. You know, there are times when we can only shoot parts of episodes because we can't bring the other actors in that are in that scene yet because of COVID. They're still in isolation. (laughs) So you're you're filming little parts of it and you're having to leave out the fact that that actor is supposed to be over there. And then the, the, the actors that are there have to flip between, you know, so many episodes at the same time, because we have to grab as much as we can with those actors while they're there, because they will have to leave and the other actors will have to come and be in quarantine. And then we feel it was just amazing. And Vanessa knows I would comment to her almost on a, a, a daily or weekly basis um, uh, how impressed I was uh, just watching the processing that she would have to do to keep it all straight and still give that, you know, powerful performance. So Um, quite a treat to watch. Yeah.
3: Thank you. I mean, it was, man, it was tough.
0: So I sort of
2: wanted to talk about the social justice and law themes of the show, because that's where my background is. Um, And I noticed so many access to justice issues being raised in the show. Um, So I kind of wanted to learn from both of you. Um, Did you learn anything new about the Canadian justice system? And what kind of feedback do you get about dealing with these sorts of storylines, especially in the Canadian context? I know that that's pretty new for Canadian TV.
0: I'll start because I actually... Function in that realm every day and have for many, many years. So, Nova Scotia, just so that you have a proper context, Nova Scotia is built from the largest and first freed Blacks to come to Canada after the War of 1812, the American Revolution, and uh, the Jamaican Maroons. So, Blacks in Nova Scotia have been here for 400 years. And so the social justice issues have played out very vividly here in Nova Scotia. And a lot of the terms that are coined in the Canadian legal system actually began here. And we are faced with having to create many of those dialogues that happen across the country. So it's such a treat to see it played out and created and displayed on a national platform uh, so that people can really see what that means. Because when we talk about an issue that happens, people think of it as an event, an event that happened on Saturday, February the 8th. But it's not an event. It's something that happens frequently in life for African Nova Scotians and for African Canadians. And it actually has an impact on how they move through the world from that day forward. And so just to use an example, because everybody knows this example, I'll use Viola Desmond. You know, Mm -hmm. we all know the Viola Desmond story today, uh, but what people don't understand is that there were many Viola Desmonds in the province of Nova Scotia and many people who went to jail to fight those rules. It wasn't something that you felt that you could talk about because people were embarrassed. They were embarrassed that they went to jail Uh, and and they didn't look at themselves as being uh, people who were fighting these laws or, you know, they were just trying to survive. They were people that were trying to live like everybody else.
1: Right, right. You know, the significant historical presence of uh, the Black community members on the East Coast, um, you know, we're we're based in Toronto, and we didn't know much about this. We didn't learn anything about this in school, sadly. And it was interesting because one of my best friends growing up was, uh, he was Scotian, and you know, a lot of the kids in Toronto, we were of, you know, Caribbean descent or continental African descent, you know, um, and our parents or relatives would have come here, you know, in the 60s, 70s or 80s. And it was interesting because Corey would tell me the story of, you know, racism, you know, back in the 70s, 80s. And he said that some racist adults and kids, would they would say things to him like, go back to where you came from. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, which is something that moronic racists like to do. And then he would have to reply to them, um, like, how, how could I go back to where I came from when my family's been here for like six generations? Like, what the hell are you talking about? So can you talk to us just a little bit more about, you know, how the local Black community is faring in Nova Scotia, you know, economically, politically, socially? Can you sort of educate us a little bit on that?
0: So there's still a lot of work to be done. Let me just say this, that, in the last two generations, a lot has been done. And we have things here in Nova Scotia that nobody else has in all of Canada because our people have fought so hard for it. Like an Office of African Nova Scotian Affairs that specifically speaks to the African Nova Scotian and its ex- and the experience and what is needed to make sure that success and doors are open for African Nova Scotians who have laid the path were so many others, even outside of our race and have built the foundations. And I do mean that the fortress that protects Halifax was built partially by the Jamaican Maroons. And so you have to know that, that we are part of the foundation of what created this city and actually started the creation of this country. And so in terms of, of you know, where we are today We still have a lot of work to be done. You know, we've had cross burnings in the last decade. We've had nooses put on Black principals' doors in the last decade. Uh, We are still talking about not uh, stopping Black people because they are driving a really nice car or they're wearing a really nice suit. That still goes on. And, um, you know, we're still, in fact, it was just released um, this week that the RCMP in Nova Scotia would not apologize for street checks. So this is a conversation that, that is still happening. It's still very much alive. And we still have a lot of work to do in Nova Scotia.
2: Wow. And I guess for you, Vanessa, it must be so powerful, like being able to understand these issues, work with people in Nova Scotia and star in this show. And I guess I wanted to know, like, what are some of the differences between, um, because I know that you're from Toronto. So sort of dealing with these issues in the Canadian context compared to some of the other roles you've had. I know that you were on General Hospital and you worked on another TV show.
3: I feel like half of my life has been in Canada and the other half has been in the States. I, I left Canada very early to study dance in New York. And one of the things that always came up when I was on the on the U.S. side was, first of all, there was really no knowledge that even Black people even existed in Canada. I mean, that was almost kind of a, a running joke. Well, I was sort of half joking, half tongue in cheek, but it was always sort of like, oh, there are Black people up there. And I always countered that with, first of all, where did you think everybody went after uh, Harriet Tubman took everybody? What, what happened <laughs> after that? Let's talk about that. And also there was a real sort of, um, you know, having your black card revoked kind of vibe from a lot of Americans, because I think there was this notion that if you didn't have the American experience or the African-American experience or knowledge or history or background, you were not really black. And there's just, we have such a rich history and culture here, not only like you said with the West Indians that came here in the seventies and eighties, but also the centuries of black people that have been on the East coast. So I often feel like I'm in a bit of a battle, like not quite fitting in here as a black Canadian in Toronto, not quite fitting in, in the East coast because I don't have those roots. My family came here from Trinidad and Tobago in the seventies and then going to the States also feeling kind of like an outsider, there's a lot more education that needs to do on both sides, and we need to start to be open to the fact that we all have such different experiences with Black history in North America.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and, and just as you know, you mentioned that you you know you studied dance in New York, but then it was funny because in in the digital green room, you know, before we started taping, I was about to you know talk to you about what it was like working with Bad Boy Entertainment and P Diddy. Because on Wikipedia, it, it says that you toured with P. Diddy for six months, but you were telling me otherwise that you didn't. So what, what the hell is going on with Wikipedia? And did you hang out with P. Diddy?
3: <laughs> um, I did not hang out with P. Diddy, nor did I tour with him. Um, I think what happened is I, I, was a, I was a dancer for many years and I was hired to do some background dancing for another hip hop artist that was on tour with. Def Jam, and some of the other um, bad boy artists. And I think the interviewer who interviewed me somehow uh, misheard me and uh, published it. And then from there, over the years, I think journalism has taken a nosedive in terms of fact-checking. Oftentimes, (laughs) we will just (laughs) go straight to previous interviews and almost copy and paste information. So there's just been a repetition of incorrect information for many, many years, which goes to show you that a lot of what we see on the internet is not true.
1: <laughs> so we're here to set the record straight. Vanessa Antoine is not linked to P. Diddy. She not she did not dance or tour with him for six months. <laughs> um, but but also Vanessa, who was the artist? Shall that artist remain nameless that you did go on tour with?
3: No. Um, I was on tour with Case. He was opening oh. for Faith Evans and Drew Hill. Um I was very much, I think, underage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it was just an interesting experience, <laughs> for sure.
1: That's right. Was ha- happily ever after, uh, yeah. unfully intended. For yes. any case fans out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: I just sort of wanted to talk about um, both of you being first. I mean, Vanessa is the first Black Canadian woman to lead a drama series. And Juanita, you're the first Black woman from Nova Scotia to ever direct an hour of primetime drama for a network series. So what is the significance um, for
3: both of you? I actually didn't know that I was the first since I started doing interviews. When I found out, I was like, right, right. I have not seen... Me, a person like me, a black face, a black woman or man, being the lead. I've certainly done the quirky best friend. I've certainly done the token, you know, neighbor on an all white show. But to be driving the narrative and the storyline and to be carrying it, um, I had not seen. Of course, I felt proud and honored, shocked. Um, I felt this huge sense of pressure because I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to now represent for all Black Canadian women and like be excellent. You know what I mean? And I carried that pressure for the first couple of seasons and then I let it go. And I decided that the best thing that I can do right now is just do my best to tell the story of this particular Black woman in Canada this particular story and represent. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, I hope that, you know, there's more. We need more people. We need more people like Juanita. We need more roles. We need more people behind the scenes. We need more writers. We need more people to green light. We need more producers. We need to start to have better conversations with the people that are already in power. But at this point, we actually just need them to leave (laughs) is my, is my And make space. Yeah. And make space. I think that that time now is now done and it's time to, to step aside for the new gen.
0: I I echo everything Vanessa said. And I just want to say, you know, when I first arrived in Halifax uh, in, I think it was 95 or 96, there were 11 national television series happening here in Halifax at that time And it actually shocked me when someone told me that I was the first black woman in um, Halifax to uh, to direct a primetime series. And it actually saddened me in many, many different ways because uh, the industry had been very, very strong here for a very long time. And and when I first I've been I've been, you know, telling stories and working professionally for over 37 years. And um, I concentrated first, you know, in getting more women in. So I, I was part of Women in the Director's Chair, which I still am a part of, doing workshops to get more women, you know, behind the camera, telling their stories. I started something called um, Real Black Film Night here in Halifax, you know, putting black filmmakers up on the big screen at the Oxford Theatre, you know, and and showing that there is a space for black stories. And most recently, you know, I'm just about to release my first feature film and the producer started a program called the Indigenous Shadow Program because that's another hole, you know, another space that has not been filled. You know, trying to get more and more Indigenous people into those seats behind the camera, in the writer's room, art room, whatever they feel that their, you know, calling is. So, um there's so much work to be done. And, um, you know, we, we are who we are because we all exist and we all need to exist to our full potential. So yeah, let's, uh, let's keep it moving.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny too, with, uh, Black Tea, our podcast, you know, it, it's doing incredibly well. And the running joke amongst Mel and I is that we're used to kind of being called upon as a, uh, you know, longtime media professionals, practitioners, podcasts, like Mel and I have done television, print, radio, a bunch of things. And, we usually end up being like the token, you know, like I'm like the token black broadcaster, the token, like that's just how things play out in the Canadian television land. Um, Sadly and unfortunately now with Digstown, I think what greatly impressed me was that there, there were a whole bunch of accomplished uh, black, uh, you know, actors and actresses. Like it's, you know, some of whom I know, Arlene Duncan, who I know, Kim Roberts, like there's a whole bunch and, in, you know, and even a person in position of authority, Juanita Peters, which is great. And of course, uh, Vanessa. And can you talk to, uh, just about the Canadian landscape and that feeling of kind of that token gesture? Because something it's like this dark shadow, this cloud, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. I love that, you know, because you're absolutely right. Because the impression that you would have by watching mainstream television, anything that comes out of Canada, is that these artists don't exist. And people will say that agents will say, well, I can't find a, you know, a male black actor between this, whatever. Well, we can, we know where they are. And um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When I walked into the creator Floyd Kane's office, who's also the showrunner. And I looked at that wall of all the actors who were going to be in the episodes. I'm telling you, there was a flurry of something I can't even explain. It was combined with pride and just overwhelming senses in my, my body, because this was something I'd never seen before. It were it was peppered with people from all walks of life, all colors, all genders. And you can only really envision that if you're open. And I think that is one of the reasons why, you know, the stories, when you watch Takes Town, you will feel like you actually could be part of these stories. So It is really defying the language and the odds that have been historically presented to Canadians. You know, here are all kinds of actors from all kinds of walks of life. They look like you. They look like me. They live in this zone. They live in that zone. And they're all here uh, on the screen.
2: Okay, Vanessa and Marita, thank you so much for joining us and giving us such great insight on Digstown and Nova Scotia. We really appreciate
1: it.
3: Oh, thank you for having us on.
1: No, thank you.
0: Thank you, everybody.
2: So now it's time for our tea segment, Dalton. And um, I hear that you have a little bit of tea to be spilling. So I'm actually eager to find out what it is. You gave me a hint.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I heard that the Fugees are going to be doing a reunion tour. And uh, What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's the, rumor, the rumors are true. Wyclef Jean, I read his autobiography. I've heard okay. Lauren Hill talk about their situation. Um, they had the relationship yep. and then they didn't. And. Just, it's been so much scandal and controversy tied to that uh, trio, and pros included, but the
2: whole thing is you don't have to worry about that because if they're going on tour, Lauren's going to show up in
1: 2026 because she's always late. So. Ah, yikes, 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 yikes. Shots fired. Yeah, no, Burn. Lauren Hill, I mean, real talk <laughs> on social media. I had to sort of put her on blast. Um, sorry, Lauren, love what? you to death. But yeah, she. I went to a, <laughs> a concert of hers and she showed up hours late, which is she's been known to do. So,
2: But she does that. So you were you coming to her as a publicist or as a
1: fan? No, I was coming as a fan, you know, and I had heard about the truancy, the... Uh, Showing up late or not showing up. Like I'd heard about it, I read about it, but I didn't want to believe it until I sat in. Massey it's disrespectful.
2: Hall. I've done her a Nas. It was disrespectful.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's too much. It's too much, right? So, and I was then thinking, you know, is she of a, you know, Caribbean descent? Is this a Caribbean Standard Time kind of thing? Or no, I'm joking. That's that, that's not yeah, even but, funny. No, that's
2: fine. But, but, but spill the tea. Spill the tea. We need to know this. Yeah, Dalton yeah. cusses out Lauren Hill.
1: Yeah, no, that's what it was. And um, <laughs> but you know, she did ultimately end up showing up to the concert, to said concert. Uh, you know, I think it started about three and a half hours late. At which point in time, Jesus. the audience were exhausted. They were pooped. They were tired. Some had already left. So anyways, so here's the hoping that the Fuji's reunion tour that it A starts on time. Uh yeah. B is not littered with uh more scandal controversy tied to why Cliff yeah. and, and that they it's all water under the bridge, you know?
2: Yeah, but at the same time, this is not like verses. It's not like we're gonna get nostalgic and like it's not nostalgic that you relate for concerts. Don't try and repeat that that shit. No. No. Cause it's like we're in a different time now. Now we have demands. We'll just turn on the internet and watch a Beyonce concert. Like we don't have to go to your show. You better come
1: correct. Yeah. and Sorry, Lord, I
2: sound angry, but I can't believe they're going on tour. This is shocking.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a 25th <laughs> anniversary tour, and, you know, she did say that the group is going to do this tour to set an example of reconciliation for the world, quote-unquote. Um, so something. you think they're going to
2: write new music?
1: Yeah, the one could only hope. I hope they drop in some, like, you know, some new tracks they've been working on, low-key. That would be awesome by the time. But I'm just happy to be there just to see them tour, and hopefully they do a Canadian tour date.
2: Well, hopefully when they do, you're not going to drag her and cuss her out. And if you do, you'll have another story for the next season.
1: That is a fact. Straight facts. (laughs) So we want to thank you all for tuning into Black Tea, everyone's favorite podcast. And uh, before we move on, I want to thank our producer, Kevin Sexton, mixing by Ryan Clark and our showrunner, Claire Broussard. And make sure wherever you listen to your podcast Apple, Spotify, iTunes, you got to give us that five-star rating. Why? Because we deserve it, damn it.